Well, like Paul said, that is a, a wonderful song to begin the new year because no matter what our dreams, our aspirations, our visions for our life, much of what we accomplish this year or what we see happen begins with that question of what is our life rooted upon? What is the foundation? What is it that we're anchored to? And even the, the greatest aspirations in terms of building towers or cities, uh, they all fall short if they have a bad foundation. And today we're going to begin a, a sermon series where we look at some of the foundational truths of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you were to be asked the question of, well, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? Um, we would probably have a, a variety of answers. Um, I grew up in the Methodist church and much of what I heard growing up was that the good news of Jesus Christ was that we were going to be going out into the world to do mission work. We were going to help other people. We were going to serve other people. That most of the idea of what it meant to be Christian was based around transforming the world, uh, helping society, making it a better place. And um, many of y'all would probably say that's, that's what the church is all about. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is for. Um, but, you know, I was in junior high when I went and visited another church with a, a friend of mine, and he was from a different denomination. And we got to the part of the service where the, the pastor made an invitation, and he said, you know, he looked at me, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, Rick, are you saved? And I grew up Methodist, and I looked back at him, and I said, from what? You know, I was like, this is a whole new concept. And he looked so sincere, and he, he really felt like it was something that needed to happen in my life. And I was like, uh, we'll have to talk about this later, buddy. And... Um, it really wasn't until later on in life that I began to, to look at that and say, well, he was really asking me a specific question. He was really focusing on something that I hadn't thought a whole lot about. And it's not that, you know, the Methodist pastors that I grew up with uh, had failed to share the gospel at one time or another. I'm sure they did. It was just, uh, you know, much of my early Christianity was kind of adventures and missing the point. You know, I love the church, I love people, loved helping out, loved doing good things. But when it came to understanding who Jesus was and why he mattered so much uh, for people, uh, I really felt like I had, had missed out on it. And um, I'll share a little bit more about my, my journey into faith and why I became a Christian in a little while, but just to put this out there for you, there's probably some of you that are kind of hearing that we're going to talk about salvation today, and you're going to say, really? I mean, we're in 2019. Haven't we moved beyond all this stuff about salvation, heaven and hell? Uh, needing somebody to save us. I mean, how do we move beyond that? And to you, I just invite you to just simply ask the quick question of, well, really, what is at the heart of the way that our world is? You know, many people would say it's just a matter of better education or better laws, or we're just one next technology of breakthrough away from having a better world, but I, I don't see it that way. In fact, I kind of look at our world and I say that, you know, the same things that we've struggled with since the beginning of time are, are still very present in our lives. How to be in community with other people, how not to treat them in unkind ways, how not to wage war. You know, those are all things that are still very real to our hearts and our lives, and that there really hasn't been a better explanation as to why we are the way we are than the one that we find within the gospel, at least in my mind. And trust me, I have looked at a whole bunch of different options. I have studied it. I have read it. And yet I'm still so very convinced of what the Bible has to say about how humans are and, and why we do what we do. And so I, I think this message is essential. And even if you have received the good news of Jesus Christ, even if you consider yourself 
a longtime Christian, uh, this is going to be a helpful series to you because you can just simply ask yourself the question of, could I teach it? Could I go to Sunday school class today and teach what it is that we're going to cover over the couple weeks? Could I explain it to a coworker? Could I share it with a grandkid? You know, that kind of question that I would invite you to uh, be able to say, could you do that? Because more than just a, a matter of you hearing what I have to say, I, I believe that it's my job to help equip you and to send you out into the world to be able to share this great news and to, to live your life for Christ. So that's what we're going to look at. And today, like I said, we're going to talk about salvation. And I think it was really put very well that salvation is a, a body of water that a child could wade in, yet an elephant could swim in. That it's easy enough for a kid to get, uh, and yet there is such a depth and a power and a strength to it that it can overtake and, and disarm even the greatest problems in our world. And I think it is such a beautiful thing because it is something that we can receive fairly easily, and yet it addresses every aspect of our life and our world at the same time. And to talk about it, I want to share with you a passage that you probably are familiar with. It's in John's gospel, his message of good news, and it's found in the second chapter of John. If you've never read the gospel of John, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a very different one from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what I like about the beginning of it is that Jesus asks a very simple question. He says, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And, and all of us come to church each week looking for something, right? I can count on every visitor that comes to church that they're, they're looking for something. And Jesus was so masterful when it came to meeting people where they are and just asking the simple question of, what is it that you're looking for? But later on in the book of John, we get to the second chapter, the very end of it, and it sets us up for what the story that we're going to hear today is. It says, while Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the miraculous signs that he did. But Jesus didn't trust himself to them because he knew all people. He didn't need anyone to tell him about human nature, for he knew what human nature was. And you can ask yourself a question about, well, what, what is human nature? What are, what are people like? And what John is pointing out is that Jesus knew how people are. It wasn't that he was dealing with a pretend scenario or anything like that. He, he understood people, and he knew them well. Chapter 3, uh, then there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with them. And so we have this uh, religious teacher, this Pharisee, somebody that knew the law backwards and forwards, and uh, he shows up at night because he didn't want anybody to see him going to see Jesus. And he asked the, the, the unbelievably great question of, uh, what is it? Uh, who are you? And, and ask those simple questions about, you know that you come from God, uh, but you could do these miraculous signs that you could do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered, I assure you, Unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? And you can obviously understand why Nicodemus is so perplexed. I mean, Jesus has said, you know, you can't enter to the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Nicodemus is probably thinking, that seems really unlikely. I know how things work. It's illegal. Uh, yeah, y'all didn't like that joke either. All right. 
I won't do it in the next service, I promise. Uh, but he asked him that question, you know, how, how could I be born again? But I, I think what we need to just stop and pause and just ask a simple question of, I mean, do you, do you recognize that this guy realized that everything he had tried had failed, right? He, he had been religious. He had lived a good life. And yet, Jesus was doing something that he'd never seen before. And he believed Jesus had something to offer him that no one else did. He says, how is this possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know what it is to come from where it or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And this is a beautiful passage. You go back in the Old Testament, and there's this powerful story about a prophet that's called to go up on a valley, and it's filled with dry bones. And the, uh, God invites the prophet to, to speak to the dry bones and say, live again. And it's nothing that the prophet does. It's no thing that he accomplishes, but rather God's spirit, the rosh in the Hebrew it says, um, that comes upon these dry bones, that they're dead, and all of a sudden, they begin to form again, uh, sinews, muscle, organs, and all of a sudden, they have new life. And when we get into the New Testament, we're talking about spirit, we're talking about pneuma. You know about pneuma because it's wind or spirit, pneumatic, pneumonia, right? And you're saying that's, that's what we, Jesus is talking about, that there's a, a breath, a movement, a presence that you and I can't control, that we can't dictate, we can't command, we can't schedule, but instead all of a sudden God moves and works within our world and in our lives and something great happens. This is what Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, how are these things possible? Jesus answered, you are a teacher of Israel and don't you know these things? I assure you that we speak about what we know and testify about and what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who has come down from heaven, the human one. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. And so Jesus explains, not only Nicodemus, that he's got to start over again, he's got to find new life, but he also explains to him how. And you and I might imagine like a 30-step process or, or something like that, and yet Jesus' words and his teachings are, look, try it. He gives an example of looking. He says, you know, well, when Moses was in the desert and there were serpents that were biting the people of Israel, he lifted up his staff and everybody that looked at that, well, they didn't get bitten. They didn't die of poison. And he says, that is just that simple, just to look, look to see. And then he goes on and he explains to them that, you know, <clears throat> those who believe in him, there's a story about missionaries going to Africa and talking with them about the gospel and trying to explain who Jesus was. And they translated it and they said, well, it's kind of like how we think about resting on something, how we sit on a chair that we believe that will hold our weight, 
You know, God so loved the world that they sat upon him, right? This is not awkward in terms of translation, but it's saying it rests upon that. We believe in him, that we trust in him. And when we talk about salvation, you know, can it, can it be something that simple as to look to Christ, to call upon Christ, to receive him into our lives? I came across a great story this week that I just absolutely adore for a number of reasons, but the biggest of which is because it's about uh, Charles Spurgeon. And if you have any Baptist friends or any Baptist preacher friends, and you say Charles Spurgeon, they just kind of glee, they kind of glow. They're like, oh, yes, Charles is great. It's like when you tell a Methodist pastor you love John Wesley, we'll, we'll kind of like, yes, we've succeeded. Uh, but, you know, you talk with a Baptist preacher about Charles Spurgeon, and they, they love him. And, um, and why I like this particular story is because it was about Charles Spurgeon when he was a, a young person, and it was a particularly bad day of weather. And so Charles, rather than going to his normal church, decided to go and visit a primitive Methodist church. Did you get that? Baptist preacher got conver- went to a primitive Methodist church. I mean, I love the story already, right? And, and he said he really wasn't looking forward to it because uh, the primitive Methodists were known for singing so joyfully and so loudly that it made everyone's ears hurt. I mean, think about that. That's what they were known for. They, they sang that loudly. And uh, he said, so he didn't really want to go, but the weather was so bad, he, he showed up. And he said the weather was so bad, there was only about 12 people, and that the normal preacher didn't even show up. The weather was that bad. And so one of the lay people got up during the middle of the service to, to read the word. And he read the word, and he said, all ye who look to him shall be saved. And he hadn't had time to prepare a sermon or anything like that. And so he said, all ye who look to him shall be saved. And he went on to explain a little bit more. He said, you know, we look at the world in a whole different number of ways. We, we look at things. We look at people. We look at ways that we could be saved, and yet nothing seems to work. Uh, but Jesus says, look unto me, and ye shall be saved. Look unto me as I go up to the cross. Look unto me as my crown of thorns pierces my head and blood flows down. Look unto me as I am stretched out. Look unto me as I am raised on the third day. And then Charles said it got really awkward because the preacher knew he was a visitor. And he looked out on, to Charles and he said, young man, you don't look very happy. And you never will be unless you look to Christ. And Charles said that was really awkward, but it was effective. And all of a sudden he said it was like the clouds parted, the sun opened up, and everything changed. And Charles Spurgeon went on to, to bring thousands and thousands of people to Jesus, you know, one of the most successful preachers ever, all because of a primitive Methodist church, right? Um, <laughs> no, because he looked to Christ that day, and he received Christ. Like I told you, uh, my life, when it came to salvation, it was a bumpy road. It was not an easy thing. Uh, those of you who struggle with this, those of you who are frustrated by it, uh, just understand that I, I perfectly relate to that. Uh, over and over again, I found myself doing my best to achieve salvation, to strive for it, to pray harder, do better, help more people, and nothing seemed to work uh, to the point where I got very frustrated and angry about it and fearful and at times just gave up on the idea that I would ever really experience the deep love of God, that I would have the kind of faith that compelled me to 
serve Christ in meaningful ways. And, and it was not until maybe I was in my 20s and 30s that I was having a conversation with somebody and uh, they, were, they were Christian, and I was talking with them, and I said, I've got this thing coming up. I'm really nervous about it. I don't know if I'm adequate for it. I don't know if I can, I can do what they're wanting me to do. And uh, he looked at me, and he said to me words that I'll probably never forget. He said, Rick, you're enough. You're enough. And for the first time in my life, I stopped, and I paused, and I realized that that's all God ever needed to really tell me, that I was enough. That here and in the now, in the moment, no matter what I achieved or done or failed or anything like that, because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, we are enough. That he loves us perfectly, completely, and more than we could ever realize. And that when we receive the gospel, what it becomes is that we realize that he loves us just as we are and that His grace is sufficient for all of our needs, and that He leads us into a life that we probably never imagined possible. To know that we are enough for Him, enough for Him to bring salvation into our lives, enough to grant us a hope that is wonderful and powerful and mighty. I shared with you the story of uh, Charles Spurgeon, and, you know, he got saved in a Methodist church, primitive Methodist church, but John Wesley's story is just as good. Um, he went and did mission work over in America when he lived in England, and he came back from that, and he said, you know, I've done my best to share the gospel with people that live there, but who's going to save me? You know, and he's in his late 30s. He's gone to Oxford. He's studied the Bible. He's done everything possible, and yet he still didn't feel like he was a child of God, still didn't feel like he was part of what God had promised. And it wasn't until he got back together with his friends in England, and he read a commentary by Martin Luther. I have no idea how that worked, right? And he said, but Christ died for me. He gave his life for me. And he said, the love of God was shed abroad in his heart like never before. And so today I just invite you to hear that great news that we heard in, in John's gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that he who believeth in him shall not die, but shall have eternal life. And I just invite you today to, in your heart, in your mind, just put your name in there. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son for you. For Jack, for Rick, for Paul, for everybody here. And to receive that into your heart and know that you are more than enough to receive the gift.